Chemo Chair Prayers is a podcast for anyone who's heard the words, it's cancer. Having lost both my mum and sister to cancer, I was diagnosed. And despite being determined to survive, it wasn't all that long until surviving was all I was doing, living a life I'd neither planned nor signed up for. Over time, I discovered that with God, life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full. And I learned how to thrive, not just survive, right in the midst of my cancer. If you're struggling to keep fear and worry at bay, to trust God no matter what, or simply need a little faith boost and to feel God's arms around you so you can journey on with strength, peace, trust, and yes, even joy, you're in the right place. So take a seat, grab your cup of tea, let your shoulders relax, and allow me to lead you in a short story and a prayer using our guided prayer practice with the acronym TRUST, followed by a simple, practical invitation for the days ahead. Hey friends, before we dive into this week's episode, I just want to say that if you are listening on the day this goes live or the next day, so either Wednesday the 24th or Thursday the 25th of March 2021, you still have time to save your seat and listen in to the Trusting God Through Cancer Summit. It's going to be so good and I really know you are going to get so much out of it. Our goal is to help you thrive, not just survive, no matter what your cancer throws at you. There are eight speakers that I'm interviewing and each one is sharing about how they journeyed through cancer or what you can do to rebuild your faith and trust in God, to conquer your fears, to find your joy, learn how to talk to your families about cancer, find rest that you need, and so, so much more. I want to help you break out of survival mode and thrive. So head over to trustinggodthroughcancer.com and why not save your free seat and join us at the Trusting God Through Cancer Summit. See you there. When cancer strikes, it's easy to feel spiritually alone and we question the presence of God. We question whether he's real and if he is, whether he's left us. Because we wonder, is he mad or maybe he's ignoring us? And it's easy to feel abandoned and we just long to be sure that we know that we know that God isn't just real, but near. We wonder if there's any tangible evidence that God hasn't left us. What is the real and present evidence that God is near and his presence is still present? We wonder whether he, we wonder whether we can be certain of his presence and his affection, strengthening our faith against any assault. And so friends, this is why I am so thrilled to introduce to you to today's chemo chair chat guest, none other than speaker and author Michelle Cushat. Now, Michelle isn't just a speaker and author. She's a three-time head and neck cancer survivor, as well as a parent of children she calls from hard places. And so she says she's an expert, albeit a reluctant one, of trauma and pain. And despite all she's been through, she is utterly convinced God is with us in the midst of all we're going through. And she's going to share how you today can be certain of his presence in your cancer journey. So, Michelle, welcome to Chemo Chair Prayers. It is so good to have you. Likewise, Nikki. I always feel like 
Uh, if we lived closer, we would certainly be friends and we would hang out quite a bit more often. Oh, I think you're so right about that. You'd be round for tea pretty much yes. once a week. I'd be coming over, stalking you, showing up at your house for tea. <laughs> it would happen all the time. Oh, well, I wish you we did. Mind, do you? <laughs> no. You know, we have an open door policy. I love people popping around. <laughs> I love it. And I know people are going to want to get to know you and hear your story. And they're going to be hanging on your every word because when it comes to cancer and pain and trauma and doubt and questions, (laughs) you have been there, done that, got Mm -hmm. the t-shirt to prove it. And what I love is you now want to help others who are there too. And I know you have really been through the ringer and to tell it in a nutshell is probably impossible. Mm. But would you give the listeners a brief overview of your cancer and then maybe some of the other things you've been through and why you're so passionate about what you talk about? Yeah, 100%. I'm happy to. And I will try to keep it as brief as possible. As you know, it's always a little bit challenging. But I was a 39-year-old mama of kids and a wife. It was 2010. In fact, it was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving of 2010 when I got a phone call from a doctor that morning. I had just sent my kids to school. My husband was on his way out the door to work. My phone rang and I answered it. It was my doctor. And the first words out of his mouth were, I'm sorry, Michelle, it's not good. To back up a little bit, I had an ulcer on the side of my tongue that just wouldn't heal. You know, but I was 39 years old, a non-smoker, you know, very rare drinker. You know, it's like I didn't have any risk factors. And so we just assumed I was eating too much acidic food or something like that. Um, But that day I found out that I had squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue, which I didn't even know existed. And what followed, as so many of you are familiar with, was a series of doctor's appointments and tests and PET scans and everything else, not to mention quite a few sleepless nights. I couldn't eat, the fear, the anxiety surrounding this really surprised me. I mean, I was somewhat incapacitated about this cancer diagnosis at 39. And eventually we found out it was cancer caught early, kind of the best case scenario. I had a minor surgery to remove a tiny section of my tongue. And I expected that my cancer journey was over. I put it in a box and never expected to see it again until Three and a half years later, almost a four-year mark, another spot showed up and I found out that the doctors were wrong, that it did come back and it was not the end of my story. I was diagnosed uh, with cancer a second time, again, squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue. This time it was more advanced, uh, required like a three or four-hour surgery where they removed one-third of my tongue, took about eight weeks to recover, to learn to eat, drink again, talk again. But once again, they said they got it all. Never, you know, they said cancer's done, we got it all. And so I put cancer in a box and never expected to see it again. About the eight week mark for my recovery from that second cancer diagnosis, I got a phone call from my father. I don't talk about this too terribly often, but it was literally eight weeks after um, my cancer surgery. I had just gone to my first speaking event post cancer. My dad called me, I talked to him in a hotel. I'll never forget it. And that's when he told me he had terminal pancreatic cancer. The doctors said there was really nothing else they could do for him. And that was May 2014. On August 18th, 2014, I'm sorry, August 19th, 2014, he died. I said goodbye to him for the very last time. He made it three more months. 
And then at this point, I'm not a super big fan of either cancer or answering the phone. (laughs) But 10 weeks after that, my doctor called for a third time and I found out that cancer had come back for a third time. This time it was much more aggressive, much more advanced. It had only been second, seven months, eight months, something like that since the second diagnosis. Uh, they told me to get my affairs in order and gave me about two weeks to do that. And then uh, Thanksgiving of 2014, I had another surgery. This was a nine hour surgery where they removed two thirds of my tongue. They cut my open my arm from wrist to elbow to pull out tissue and blood vessels to hope, hopefully rebuild. Uh, some kind of functional tongue so I could eat and drink and swallow. Also cut open a skin graft on my leg to rebuild my arm, took blood vessels and tissues out of my neck, removed my submandibular gland, lymph nodes, other things. And then after being in the ICU for a week and being given about four weeks to recover from that surgery, that's when they brought out the big, big guns and started doing external radiation and chemotherapy. And yeah. For those of you who have experienced head and neck cancer, when you start shooting radiation at the face and the neck and the throat, it's just a whole different experience. And so at the other end of that treatment, I had a feeding tube for about five to six months, took all my water nourishment through a feeding tube, had a tracheostomy for almost two months to keep me from choking. I had burns, like third degree burns from nose to chest. And uh, literally, doctors took me to the brink of death in the hopes of maybe saving my life. I mean, I was there was really no other options at this point. It had come back so many times. I was so aggressive. But the only option of potentially still living a life was to almost die. And that just brought about a measure of physical suffering that I did not know was possible for a human to experience and still survive. Oh gosh, Michelle, what a story. I'm I'm imagining that there are some listeners who can relate to parts of it and other listeners relating to other parts of it. And you've been through the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, some that have lost a parent, some that have had surgery, some that have had chemo, and you've had it all multiple multiple times. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. Tell us how you're doing now. Uh, as of right now, in fact, it's it's just quite interesting. Um, March, you know, we're at the time of this recording, it's March and March of 2021. It was six years ago in March that I was at my worst, where I really didn't know if I would live. And so I was thinking of that the other day. I'm like, six years ago right now, I really was on the brink. I mean, I was in bad shape. But here I am six years later, I am still cancer free. I just had my six-year checkup, like my annual checkup a couple of weeks ago. I will need to go to the oncologist every year for the rest of my life. I'll never be pronounced free and clear. But for me to be able to be six years cancer-free at this point is like, I never thought I would still be here. And it's such a, it's such a grace. It's such an incredible grace that I'm still here and such a surprise. <laughs> Well, I am so glad and we're all glad and I bet your wonderful family are more (laughs) than glad that you are still here, Michelle. But also, you're not just still here physically, but you're still here spiritually because when we go through things like that, we question, you know, is God real? And if he is, is he good? And I know people often think, because I've thought this myself, 
if he is real and good, and I'm going through this painful cancer journey, then where on earth is he? Because it feels like I'm alone. And I know I've talked about this on chemo chair prayers before about how we can feel alone in our heads because we're the only ones thinking our thoughts. However, surrounded by family and friends we are, we're kind of alone in our heads, but it can feel like we're alone and abandoned by God anyway. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, how have you dealt with that? Have you had those thoughts? I know it's the subject of your wonderful book that I want to encourage everyone to go out and get immediately relentless, the unshakable presence of a God who never leaves. And just from that title, obviously, you still do believe he's real and he's (laughs) present and he's good. So did you question and how did you return from that place of doubt and wondering if he had up and left? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I open in the first pages of Relentless, I tell a very, very vulnerable story of a moment when I really did not want to live anymore. To give you a little context, having survived the radiation chemo on my face and my throat and my neck left me, not to mention the removal of my tongue, right? Left me with permanent uh, physical disability and chronic pain. So talking is painful. Uh, Eating is incredibly difficult. Swallowing my food, drinking a glass of water. I even have a hard time with my own saliva uh, because I have so much scarring and damage on the inside, not just the outside of my face and neck. And, you know, this wrestling with God's presence wasn't about the diagnosis as much as it was about the unrelenting nature of my suffering. You know, we all get sick at times. We all have different diagnoses. I mean, nowadays it's like you can't be in a room of people without meeting other people who have been diagnosed with cancer or been impacted by cancer in some way, whether a family member or whatever. But when it gets really hard, when we feel the most alone is when it seems like there is no relief to our unending pain and suffering. That's when we, we can't make sense of that. And so we equate the presence of pain with the absence of God. And, you know, that was my struggle is, is he mad at me? Did I do something wrong? I didn't, I didn't question his goodness with my diagnosis. What I questioned was, it wasn't just one diagnosis, it was multiple diagnosis and the loss of my father, who was my, who is the reason why I'm a person of faith in the middle of all of it. And the fact that, that I will live with pain for the rest of my life. And if God has this power to be able to snap his fingers and remove it, why doesn't he? Mm. If he loves me, if he's with me, why won't he bring relief? Uh, And that's, boy, that's a hard question. I, I don't even know that I necessarily have an answer for it. But what really kind of pulled me out of this pit of darkness where I was literally despairing of life was that one, I had to, I really wrestled, wrestled, wrestled. But the biggest thing that gave me hope was the fact that God intentionally entered into the human experience. uh, And the human experience is one of pain. And God intentionally left the perfection and glory and joy of heaven to put on human flesh for one reason. And that was because he loved us. I can't fathom that. I would not take on this. There's nobody I love enough to go through unending pain and suffering. And that is exactly what Jesus did for us. So I'm like, what does this mean? 
So the fact that God chose pain on my behalf meant that even though I didn't understand why he wasn't taking my suffering away, it at least made me not feel as alone in it because he was with me. He knew pain and suffering. Yeah, really does. And then the other piece that uh, really helped me as I was wrestling through this, I was so fearful, afraid that maybe my suffering was my fault, that I had done something wrong that, you know, I can't tell you, I haven't had any shortage of people telling me that what I should eat, because certainly Mm -hmm. if I X, Y, Z, cancer is going to come back. I haven't had any shortage of people offering me essential oils and all kinds of remedies and things like this. And the implication behind all those well-intentioned offerings is that my suffering must be my fault. And that if I would just take these one, two, three steps, I wouldn't have to be in pain. And yet, in spite of all of my efforts to avoid suffering, I still landed in it again and again. And so so my question was, is it my fault? Have I done something wrong? Is my pain a punishment? And as I dug into scripture, really wrestling with this, and boy, there were many, many dark nights of um, not being sure of what I believed. The one thing that God kept showing me again and again is that pain is part of the human experience. Pain is part of the human experience, but over and over again, God was closest in the places of pain. And Mm. so if he is present with me in places of pain, can that be enough for me? And what one of the biggest discoveries I found is that pain happens whether you have God or don't have God, but we can endure almost anything as long as we know we're not alone. That is so true. And I just love the connection with the title of your book being relentless. Yes, your pain was relentless, but so is his presence and his his love for us, for you, for everybody listening. It's a personal love and so good. There were moments where, you know, and I'm sure there's other people listening to this that I literally cry, weep, God, just don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me, because that was my bigger fear. Of course, cancer is scary and dying is scary. There is a very natural fear of death because it's the unknown. We've never experienced it yet if we're still listening to this right now, right? (laughs) So it's the unknown. So it's scary. (laughs) But I was so afraid that God would abandon me. Like, don't leave me. Don't leave me. I can't do this alone. And I remember listening to a couple of sermons by um, Dr. Timothy Keller, who made the connection for me. He said, do you realize Jesus on the cross? He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He said, you need to understand that Jesus experienced the abandonment of God in that place on the cross. So we would never know what it felt like. That is the dedication of God's presence to us. Jesus is the only one that could truly say, God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason for that was so you and I, those of us who couldn't survive the absence of God would know that no matter what happens, he will never forsake us. That is such a great reminder. And this episode will air just before Easter. And so as we celebrate Easter, that's a great thing to remember as we look at the empty cross on Easter Sunday, but also as we look to Jesus on the cross on Good Friday, that he went through that so we wouldn't have to, so that we wouldn't have to experience to our Easter services Mm -hmm. or watch them online or whatever we're doing these days. You know, I think that's such a great reminder, Michelle, that even if we feel alone and abandoned, we are not. And the proof Mm -hmm. 
is Good Friday and Easter Sunday. I found, I'm so glad you mentioned Jesus on the cross, you know, Good Friday for so long as a non-denominational post-resurrection Christian. You know, we celebrate Easter Sunday and rightly so, but I found incredible comfort in Jesus on the cross. In fact, it was, you know, for me, it really became the intersection between heaven and earth for me. I could crawl up to that cross and hear the agony of Jesus as he suffered and see his blood um, drip from that cross and realize that it was connecting with my own, that he and I were in this together. And boy, there was such you know, it's the community of suffering, right? In that place. And it, it was so powerful for me to sit there and to picture myself at the foot of the cross suffering right as Jesus suffered and knowing that I wasn't doing my suffering for him, but his suffering was purely for me. Mm, that's that's beautiful. And I was in a Catholic church just a couple of hours ago. We are away for a long weekend and recording this interview from a hotel room, which is quite fun. <laughs> but I was just visiting a beautiful Catholic church here in San Antonio, looking up at the beautiful fresco of Jesus hanging on the cross and just thinking about and praying about how the Catholic church emphasizes Jesus on the cross more and thinking how I have always sought to think about the empty cross because I'm an optimist. And, you know, this is what he came to set us free and he rose again. And all that is true. But when we really meditate on him on the cross, we not just think about him removing us, our sin, but also entering into our suffering and having, you know, not just being able to sympathize, but empathize because he has been there. And so in Relentless, you talk about, Michelle, building an arsenal yes. of evidence, that, and of evidence of his love and his presence. Why do you think that is so important and how, how do you do that? Well, it's so important because, you know, none of us can predict when the next crisis is going to happen. I've had enough crises at this point. We haven't even gotten into my full story. We've only talked about my cancer story. But uh, I'm now 49 years old. I have six kids three of whom are 14, 14, 14. So you can imagine the pain and suffering related to that. <laughs> and I love them. So don't anybody send me hate mail, but you're 14, 14 and 14 during the middle of a pandemic. So hello, it's been quite a year. But you know, as I contemplate all of those different types of challenges, the different types of suffering, I know it's not going to be the last time I experience hardship. There's always, there's going to be more. Jesus promised that in this world, you will have suffering. It's just, it's just the way it is in the human experience. And uh, if we don't think so, if we think we can control our lives to being completely bland and absent any hardship, then we're naive. So that said, that means we don't know when the next crisis or challenge or things going to happen. We need to have evidence of God's reality now so that when pain blinds us to his goodness, we can look back at the evidence and remind ourselves of the truth. Pain and suffering can be a liar at times. We all know this. Any of us that have had physical pain, uh, it kind of becomes the only thing we can think about. It's consuming, right? And so we need to have something that sits outside of ourselves, outside of our, uh, our suffering that we can look at that reminds us of the truth of God, God's presence. And I really pulled this from the story of Joshua and the Israelites when they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Before they crossed that Jordan River, and if you looked at their story ahead of time, the Israelites had gone through 400 years of slavery in Egypt. 
They had been led by Moses through the wilderness, crossing the Red Sea into the wilderness. They had all kinds of challenges in the wilderness. Moses died, their fearless leader. Joshua took over. You know, they had lots of insecurity based on their consecutive losses in the years before. And they faced this Jordan River, and it was too too big of a river for them to cross without drowning. And so God gave them instructions to have the priests who were responsible for leading the Israelites to put their feet in the water. The moment the Israelites put their feet in the water, the the Bible says that the Jordan piled up at a distance and instantly the ground became dry. And as long as the priest stood in the middle of the Jordan River, holding the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant was the visible representation of God's presence. As long as they stood there holding the Ark of God's presence, the Israelites could cross to get to the other side of the Jordan River. God says, I'm not done yet. I want you to send 12 of your leaders, so one from each tribe, 12 men back into the Jordan where the priests are standing. I want you to pull out a rock from the middle of the Jordan, I'm the altar of remembrance. So fascinating, because basically what he's saying, I want you to go back into the middle of this hard circumstance, this raging Jordan River, that you would have never gotten through if God hadn't made a way for you to get through. I want you to pull out stones from the middle, right next to his presence, stones you wouldn't have had access to without me. I want you to set them up as a reminder on the riverbank. And then he says later in uh, Joshua 4, he said, do this. So in the future, when when your children ask you what these stones mean, you can tell them, you can remind them of how the Lord delivered you and so that they would know and that they would fear the Lord your God. Very, very simply, God in his infinite wisdom knew the Jordan wasn't going to be the last challenge that the Israelites would face. Because of that, he said, you need to do something to remember what I did for you today because more is coming. And I need you to know, but I also need your children and your children's children to know the faithfulness of God. So when they face hard things, when their pain lies to them, they can look at this and remember, but our God is faithful. So good. I think it's so important to have those altars built in our lives. And so, you know, in my book, I talk about checking out God's credentials as Mm -hmm. a way of beginning to trust him. And we think, I can't check out God's credentials. That sounds blasphemous. But we wouldn't trust a plumber without, you know, checking out his reviews or asking a friend. And we can do the same with God. And when he shows up and he is with us, then we can record it and no, put another totally. stone on our altar. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, God you know, told the Israelites, do not forget the Lord. I can't remember if it's Deuteronomy 33. I can't remember what chapter it is. It's in Deuteronomy, I believe. But he says, when you get to the land of plenty, and I'm paraphrasing, when you get to the promised land where there's honey and crops and you have livestock, when you get there, don't forget what I brought you through. Because we all know the tendency Mm -hmm. is, is when times are going well, we forget. And then another crisis comes and surprises us. And we forget what God has done. That's why we have to actually capture it, keep those credentials on hand. So that way, when the unexpected hits us in the middle of nowhere, we can go back and say, wait a second. This is who God, this is who God says he is. And this is who God has demonstrated himself to be. I can rely on that. I can believe that even though my current circumstances may feel overwhelming. Yeah. Such great advice. Such great advice. So tell me this, Michelle, can we impact God's presence with us? 
can we make a difference in his presence? I don't, but let's say it this way. I think if we can impact our experience of or perception of his presence. The Bible says very clearly in Hebrews and it references, I believe, Leviticus. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's a pretty strong promise. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus says that that no one can snatch us out of his hand. No one can snatch us out of his hand. That, and I have in Relentless, I give many, many more examples of God's relentless presence. I don't know if it gets any more clear than those two that I've shared with you. Can we choose to buy into pain's lies and not acknowledge or believe in his presence? Yeah, we certainly can. That's why these altars of remembrance, these evidences that we collect are so critical to remind ourselves of what we believe to be true, right? And so that, Mm. you know, some of the things we do, our belief, our behaviors at times can impact our ability to sense or to believe in God's presence in that moment. But that doesn't change his reality. God, gosh, I think it's in First Timothy as well, where it says, God, that if we are faithless, God is faithful still because he cannot disown himself. In other words, God, his very character is faithful. God's very character is love. God is love. He cannot behave contradictory to his character. We can, (laughs) right? But God does not. He is the definition of faithful. He is the definition of love. And so even if we are faithful, faithless, he is faithful still. And so collecting some of these verses as evidence, they stand independent of us. I think of is it Romans? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet, we didn't do anything deserve, to deserve it. We didn't do a single thing to warrant God's presence. And yet he sent Jesus as God with us. It's a relief it's- to know it's not dependent on me. And so even if I don't feel God's presence, if I don't feel it, okay, that's a feeling. But God's nearness to me is not dependent on me being good enough or worthy of it. Otherwise, Jesus would have never come in the first place. That is so true. And I remember hearing the analogy of the verse from Revelation, you know, Jesus stands at the door of the heart and knocks. And it was told as if, you know, it's like the doorbell in our house goes and we open it and Jesus says, I'm here. And we say, great, come on in. And then so he walks in and goes through to our living room or kitchen or wherever. And we stand at the door going, well, where are you? Are you in? Are are, Are you here? And we, we don't acknowledge his, you know, we don't go and sit with him and eat with him and have a meal with mm-hmm. him. All the things that um, he wants us to do, he wants us to do. So I love that, that his presence with us yeah. is a given. Can we be open yeah. to being open? And to even him? having some maturity to understand, as we all know, with our spouses or children or even family members or best friends or whoever, we don't always feel warm and fuzzy about the people that we dearly love, right? So much of my life, I've wanted my relationship with God to be all fireworks and Hollywood glitz and glam. And he's like, I've already told you I would never leave you or forsake you. Can you just believe it? Do you have to have fireworks all the time? And I wrote about this in Relentless that honestly, truly, I don't even think the fireworks would be enough. I need, We think it would be, we're like, but God, I need a memo in the sky. I need you to send me a billboard. I need. We say we want that, but honestly, would it ever be enough? We just need to believe what God has already done and bank on it. Oh, bank on it. Now that is such a good place to end. Can we all, can everyone listening, can you 
whether you are sitting actually in a chemo chair Mm. today or wherever you are, can you bank on the fact that God is real and his presence is a given? Michelle, so, so good. And I will put the link to Michelle's book, Relentless, The Unshakable Presence of a God Who Never Leaves, in the show notes. But now we're going to, as we always do, transition into a time of prayer. And we're going to take a moment to pray using our simple guided prayer format that uses the acronym TRUST. Thank you for offering to pray with us and for us today, Michelle. It's my pleasure. It's a privilege. Well, if this is your first time listening to Chemo Chair Prayers, we pray using this guided prayer practice with the acronym TRUST. And TRUST stands for thanking him for who he is and what he's done, resting in his love, unburdening our hearts, surrendering our hopes, fears and needs, and lastly, taking him at his word. Or as Michelle says, banking (laughs) on it. And this is an opportunity for you to be prayed for as we pray over you. But it's also an opportunity for you to make this prayer your own and pray your own prayers. And this week, as Michelle prays, she's going to pray for you and over you. And then, as we always do, we'll leave space for you to make these prayers your own. And feel free to hit pause between each section and spend time praying or simply sitting in the presence of God, knowing it might not feel warm and fuzzy, but you can bank on the fact that he is with you. And if you haven't already, you can download your own copy of our Trust Prayer Practice bookmark that you can you know, put in your journal or Bible. You can grab that at chemochairprayers.com. Thank you for praying for us, Michelle. Let's pray. We'll start by thanking him for who he is and what he's done. God, thank you for, first of all, thank you for knowing that we were a people who needed you to be with us. Thank you for your promise of presence, for your perfect faithfulness and perfect love. Can I invite you to just make that prayer your own, maybe taking a few moments to thank him for his presence in your life today. Now, let's rest in his love. Father, you have said that, when Jesus said, for you so loved the world that you gave your only son so that whoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. God, I rest in that truth, that it was all about love. It's always been all about your love for us. God, I receive it, I believe it, and I choose, in spite of all the anxiety and worries and fears going on right now, I choose to rest in your love. Can I invite you to just maybe repeat that prayer back to yourself, to God, making it your own. Now let's unburden our hearts. God, we confess, all of those who are listening, as well as Nikki and myself, we confess that cancer is terrifying. We feel so out of control. We have no idea what's going to happen. 
We don't like it when our bodies don't behave the way they're supposed to. We feel vulnerable, angry sometimes, deeply sad. God, it's a lot. It overwhelms us. And sometimes the fear and the unknown is too much for us to carry alone. And can I encourage you, as you unburden your heart to the Lord, to be confident that there is nothing you can say that would drive his presence away. Now let's surrender our hopes, fears, and needs to him. Father, uh, we all, every one of us, we're all in this together, God. And we just, we give this to you because we recognize this situation is beyond our ability to fix or control. We surrender it to you. Uh, and the reason we can surrender it, God, is because we, we know who you are. We know you've promised to never leave. And we know you are the definition of love, that you love us more than we could possibly comprehend or understand. And so, God, you are the perfect person for us to surrender all this to you. We give it to you. We give you the process. We give you the decisions that need to be made. We give you the outcome. We give you our family members. We give you our own fear and uncertainty. We give you our bodies. All of it we give to you, God. We love you. We trust you. We, need, we desperately need you. And so we surrender. Can I invite you, as you echo Michelle's prayers, to surrender everything that you are carrying and hoping and afraid of? And lastly, let's take him at his word. God, you are a God of life. God, you are a God of life. You are a God of love. You have said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God, I believe that. All of us here today, we hear you. We believe it. We choose to believe it. And we ask that that belief, the step of taking it at your word, God, that someday you help the feelings to kept up, catch up with the words and the claims, that we would truly feel and experience your reality with us no matter what happens. Can I invite you, as we close, to take a moment to declare to God how you are going to take him at his word. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus, the son of the God whose unshakable presence never leaves. Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to pray with us and for us. And here at Chemo Chair Prayers, I always like to end our time with an exercise, either spiritual or practical or a bit of both, that listeners can make their own and take into the week. And I know you have something for us to think about or do. Yeah, one of the, one of the most helpful exercises for me and this just came to mind. So hopefully this helps somebody out there. Usually when God prompts my mind, it's beneficial to someone. But every time I went to a chemo appointment, a radiation appointment, I took an index card with me with the name of one person that God had asked me to pray for. And as I sat in the chair that infused all kinds of toxins into my body and 
it was a hard place to be. I would hold that index card with somebody else's name on my lap. And it was somebody else that was suffering, somebody else that was in a hard place, somebody that God had said, hey, pray for this person. And let me tell you, those were some, those are some of, so today I still have some of those index cards. And they're some of my sweetest memories from that journey because it reminded me, not only is God with me, but we're in this together. There are a lot of us out there that are going through hard things. And maybe we could share each other's burden. And that little tiny index card was a way for me to pray for somebody while I was also praying for myself in God's presence. Mm, I just love that. I love that. Thank you, Michelle. And I really want to encourage everyone to to do that. As we say here at Chemo Chair Prayers, you know, thriving is a team sport (laughs) and no one can do it alone. So thank you. Now, Michelle, I know people are going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to read the book. Where can they find you and get to know Absolutely. Well, the easiest place to find me and then find links to everything else is at my website, which is michellekashat.com. It's Michelle with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E and Kashat with two T's, C-U-S-H-A-T-T. And on that website, I created a 15 episode podcast that goes with the book Relentless. Both Relentless and the podcast talks a lot about questions surrounding faith and suffering. Uh, so if you don't have suffering and don't ever have any questions about your faith, then you may not find it helpful. But for anybody who ever has experienced something hard and had even a question or two about faith, I think you'll find some good, safe space to wrestle through some of that together. And that's a free podcast. I also have a ton of free resources, all kinds of things. I have a faith over fear verse list that just lists a bunch of verses for you to read out loud when fear attacks you. I have all kinds of free things. My goal is to help you feel less alone in the place of your pain. And so you can find a lot of that at michellekushak.com. And I can tell you, I have read, listened to most of everything that Michelle has and can attest to how helpful and how much it serves us in the middle of our own journey. And by the way, if you are that person who has never had any pain or suffering (laughs) or any questions of faith or the presence of God, would you email me? I think you must be the golden unicorn out there. We would love to meet you. Well, Michelle, thank you for taking time to love the Chemo Chair Prayers community. Oh, it was truly my privilege. I love, love, love what you're doing, Nikki. We, I wish I would have had that 10 years ago. It's such a, a sweet way for you to redeem your own losses and challenges and then offer hope for others. So thank you. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to Chemo Chair Prayers with me, Nikki Hardy. And I always say that thriving is a team sport. So I'd love to know how you're doing and how this simple spiritual exercise and our trust prayer were for you. You can always find me and leave a comment on the Chemo Chair Prayers website, chemochairprayers.com. And that's also where you can download a copy of your own trust guided prayer format bookmark. If you've enjoyed Chemo Chair Prayers, please recommend it to a friend, your cancer support group, Or maybe forward it to your pastoral care team who might be looking for resources for those with cancer. And then why not hit subscribe and leave a five-star review? Not only will that ensure that you get the next episode when it airs, but your review will mean that others journeying through cancer will be able to find chemo chair prayers more easily. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine... 
according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.